the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. TBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in new portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Many people today reject Christ because they fear the disapproval of their authority. Whether it be parents or religious leaders or teachers or whatever it is, some authority over them, they fear that if they take Jesus and trust him, their leaders or people over them would frown upon it. So you know what they do? They don't think for themselves. They don't think. They have a fear, they're intimidated, and so they go along with the crowd. Many people are like the fly who flew near a spider web. The spider invited the fly to land and rest a while on its freshly cleaned web. The fly said that since there were no other flies on the web, landing there didn't seem like a very smart thing to do. Just then it saw a whole crowd of flies dancing on a piece of brown paper lying nearby. Seeing so many flies having a good time on it, our little winged friend figured that the paper must be a great place. It zipped directly over to the brown paper, landed, and died in the glue. What other people think is not necessarily a good measure of truth, as we will see today on Verse by Verse. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Steve Kreloff concludes a three-part message on why people reject Jesus. Our main text is Mark, chapter 15, but for now, let's go to the parable of the sower and the seed in chapter 4 of Mark. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, the seed represents the Word of God. We don't have time to look at all this, but the seed, he says, represents the Word of God. And the soil represents various heart attitudes, various uh, attitudes of the heart. And in, in, in their response, notice verse 14. He says, the sower, and now he's going to give explanation, by the way, to his disciples who didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about. The sower sows the Word. And he says, in verse 16, in a similar way, and here's his interpretation, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. Some seed fell on some very rocky ground. Uh, who, when they hear the word, and this is people, he's not really talking about soil, but people who hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. You know people like that. They hear the gospel, they hear something about Jesus, and they spring at it. They are attracted to that message, and immediately they receive it with joy, and oh, they're so happy, and it's wonderful. Verse 17 says, and they have no firm root in themselves. It's an emotional decision. They haven't thought this thing through. They don't understand about repentance. They don't understand about genuine faith. They, they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. You see, they show something that looks like growth, but it's not really growth. Just like when uh, he says in verse 5 that when the seed falls on rocky ground, it, it, not much soil there, immediately it springs up. But 
Then when the sun comes out, goes away. That's what he says in verse 17. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. The rocky soil refers to a heart that looks like a real believer, but it's not a real believer because it's only temporary. And you can't have temporary salvation. Salvation is, is secure. It's forever. They fall away when the tough times come because of persecution, because of affliction. Something that, uh, that they didn't bargain for. And, and they probably feel, listen, it's one thing to go to church and sing hymns. It's another thing to get persecuted for this stuff. So they don't want anything to do with Christ. That's it. They weren't interested in obedience to the word uh, that, that might result in persecution. Nobody ever told them about that or they didn't listen to that. They just wanted a Christ who gave them what they wanted they didn't, and they don't want problems. They have enough of their own. Listen, many people reject Christ because he's not what they're looking for. It's as simple as that. They don't want a king who demands loyalty. They don't want a king who demands that they address their sin. They don't want a king who says, you need to be devoted to me, and you need to be obedient to me. They don't want a king like that. They want a God who gives them the warm fuzzies. You know what I mean? They want a God who makes them feel good about themselves. They want a God who tells them to only think positive and to have great self-esteem. Like, that's the, the real meaning in life, to feel good about yourself, to be happy. That's the kind of God they want. They, they, they want sort of a cosmic genie that they can just rub and say, I'm going to make a wish, and you fulfill it. That's what they want in Christ. And listen, there are a lot of accommodating teachers. There are a lot of teachers who tickle the ears of people, and they give them all kinds of rotten doctrine, like uh, Jesus wants everybody healed. And so they go to him for healing, and he doesn't do it. And they say, I'm very disillusioned. That's not the Jesus that I want. Or they, they hear that Jesus will make everybody happy and wealthy. And if you're a child of the king, you ought to go first class on everything. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. And that's just not the way the Lord's going to operate in their life. And they're going to be very disillusioned, disappointed with him. So there are a lot of, of really poor teachers that will accommodate people looking for a cosmic genie. But listen, beloved. Jesus isn't that kind of a king. And don't fall into the trap of presenting him to people in such a way that accommodates their, their sin. That's very important for us to understand. You don't tell people, you don't water down the gospel to make it more palatable to them. And a lot of people do that. Tell them who Jesus is and don't water down the gospel to, to make it easier for them and more appealing. You know, Jesus didn't do that. I always marvel at the fact that, that the rich young ruler walked away and Jesus let him walk away. You realize that? We would have never done that. Most, most evangelicals, I should say, would have never done that. They would have said, wait a minute. You didn't understand me correctly. Did I say it was tough? Did I say you had to deal with your sin of covetousness? Listen, that'll happen later on. You just pray a prayer and it'll all work out. Now, Jesus didn't do that. The Bible says he loved him, but he let him walk. Let's look at John chapter 6 again. That's why I said to keep a bookmark there. John chapter 6, verse 66. Because Jesus let these people walk too. And it wasn't just one rich young ruler. There were many who walked away from him and Jesus let them go. Not that his heart wasn't breaking. Not that, not that he was glad that they left. But he didn't change the truth to make it more appealing to these people. It was the truth that drove them away. 
Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and they were not walking with him anymore. Jesus therefore said, therefore, to the twelve. See, there's a contrast between the fickle people and the twelve. He said to them, you do not want to go away also, do you? He knew they wouldn't leave. Of course, Judas is an exception. Simon Peter answered him, and see, this is, this, this is the response of a true believer. I don't know that the twelve disciples knew any more that was going on than the others, but at least they loved Christ, and they were willing to obey. Simon Peter answered him, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? Isn't that great? Who else are we going to go to? He said, you have the words of eternal life. Where, where are we going to go? And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We know your deity. We know your Messiah. I don't think they understood a lot, but what they did understand was right. Jesus didn't stop these fickle people from leaving, and true disciples know who he is. So the first reason that the crowd rejected him and cried for his crucifixion was because Christ disappointed him, disappointed them. So please, don't water down the gospel. Present the truth about Jesus. You're, you're not out to rack up souls. You know, how many souls do you have as opposed to how many someone else has? That's, that's really horrendous, that attitude. You're there to present the truth, and it's the Spirit of God who will work in people's hearts and bring them to faith in Christ. Don't, uh, don't be one who makes a game out of, out of witnessing. There's a second reason why this crowd rejected Christ, and that's found in Mark 15, verse 11. But the chief priests stirred up the multitude to ask them to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. The religious leaders put pressure on the crowd, and the crowd was simply following the religious leaders. They, they were uh, uh, feeling pressure, perhaps intimidated, and so they asked for the release of Barabbas and the death of Jesus. It's interesting to me, and it doesn't make sense at all, but it's interesting that Barabbas was guilty of what they accused Jesus of. Have you ever thought about that? They said this man, Jesus, is guilty of treason. What was Barabbas in prison for? Treason. It doesn't make sense, but then again, this whole episode doesn't make sense. If it made sense, we wouldn't have this bizarre situation. Now, they, the religious leaders stirred up the people. What they said to them or how they did this, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. However, we do know we do know throughout the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, that the religious leaders put fear into the hearts of the people. In fact, remember the man who was born blind? And in John chapter 9, this man was born blind, and they, uh, Jesus healed him. And they, they went to his parents, and they said, Explain to us about your son. He says he was blind, and, and, and they begin to say things, and then they back off from the religious leaders, and they say, why don't you ask him yourself? Uh, he's, he's of age. And it says, the Bible says that they feared the religious leaders because they were going to excommunicate people. Excommunicate, put them out of the synagogue. And we don't think a whole lot about discipline and excommunication today because, quite frankly, when someone gets uh, disciplined in a church, they can go right down the street and go into another church, Unfortunately. But in that day and age, if you are excommunicated and you were put out of the synagogue, you didn't go to another synagogue. You were put out of society. This was a, a religious society. And so they feared the people. Tremendous fear of these people. And, and it's all throughout John's Gospel. And the principle is this. Many people today reject Christ because they fear 
the disapproval of their authority, whether it be parents or religious leaders or teachers or whatever it is, some authority over them. They fear that if they take Jesus and trust him, their leaders or people over them would frown upon it. So you know what they do? They don't think for themselves. They don't think. They have a fear. They're intimidated. And so they go along with the crowd. See, the issue is you've got to think for yourself. I remember, and I'm sure I've told you this, that uh, uh, growing up in a Jewish home, I never heard uh, the truth about Jesus Christ. If I did, I don't remember it. But I don't recall anybody. I don't know that anybody ever told me the truth about Jesus Christ. I just went along with what everybody else said. What everybody would tell me, the Jewish community would tell me about Christ and all the horrible things that went along. Jesus to me was simply a curse word. I say that to my shame, but that's the way it was. And uh, finally, when a friend witnessed to me at the university, I, uh, I said, well, I'm going to get a Bible and, and look into this myself. And you know what I found? I was amazed. I started reading Matthew's Gospel. And I was amazed at what I discovered. And you know, I couldn't figure in my mind, why do my people say so many terrible things about this man? I couldn't find it in the Bible. And that just blew my mind. Just blew my mind. And I decided then to not let people think for me anymore when it came to Jesus Christ. I would have to make a decision. You've got to think for yourself and don't be intimidated by what others think about Jesus. I remember uh, speaking, and I, I've often used my, my mom in illustrations because we had a lot of interaction about, about the Lord, but I remember speaking one time to my, to my mom about accepting Christ, and she pulled one of these uh, sort of intimidating things on me. She said this, and I'm sure uh, those of you who are Jewish in this audience can relate to this, because she said, if Jesus was the Messiah, then how come the rabbis don't believe in him? And she was very satisfied with that answer. You know, how come the rabbis? And then she said, you know, Stephen, they study all the time. And the implication was this. Do you think you know more than them? That can be very intimidating. Very intimidating. And then she happened to name some people who, who uh, she knew who studied all the time. You see, she had become a victim of, of intimidation, intimidated by the so-called intellectualism of religious leaders. And, and what she was really saying is this, if they didn't believe in Christ with all of their knowledge, then how could somebody as simple as me, meaning herself, how could someone as simple as her understand this? They know far more than her. Do I expect her to understand and believe when they're students? Listen, do not let anybody put pressure on you into, uh, into making the wrong decision. Think for yourself. Most people don't think for themselves about most anything and everything. But when it comes to Christ, think for yourself. Don't go along with what the so-called experts have said. Pressure could come from all kinds of sources, from tradition. You know, we've always believed this way. If you dare to, to believe differently, you're the first one in this family. So-called science and scholarship. These are the intelligent people, and they say that the Bible is ridiculous. Uh, religion with its rules and traditions and rituals. You don't want to break away from that. Have everybody laugh at our family? Parents and friends, and think for yourself or you will fall for mob mentality or just go along with the crowd. 
That's why they're rejected. Now, I want, as we close, I want you to look. Don't close your minds, but I want you to look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 and 25, have bothered me for a long time. And uh, I want to explain them to you because they have bothered a lot of people for a long time, especially Jewish people. These verses have been used by many people to endorse anti-Semitism, claiming that all Jewish people killed Christ. In fact, Adolf Hitler used this verse. So let me read it to you and let me explain. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather, verse 24, rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. He's saying, I'm not guilty, which is not true, though. He was guilty. But anyway, he said, I'm not guilty. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Anyone who is sensitive to Jewish issues understands that one of the real turnoffs of the Jewish people to the gospel over the years is that they have been called and accused of being Christ killers. As I said before, Hitler used this, this verse, and many others continue to use it. And so they say that all Jewish people for all time are responsible for putting Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Look at verse 25. The people said, his blood be on us. And they didn't stop there. They said, and on our children. Now, what is our response to this? Response is, that's not true. Oh, it's true that they said this, but it's not true. Just because these people said, blame us and our children, doesn't mean that their children are guilty for their sin. Only this group of people are responsible for what they did. Remember, we saw that in Ezekiel chapter 18. Remember the people who were in exile, the Jewish people said, you know, we're punished for what our fathers did. They said, and those of you who are here understand, they said the fathers eat the the grapes, but it's us who uh, really uh, sort of choke on them and make uh, the sour grapes and make faces. We're being punished for what they did. And Ezekiel said, no, never say that proverb again. Never say that. And he said, the soul that sins, that soul shall die. In other words, each person is responsible for their own sin. You cannot say, I sinned and my children are going to bear the responsibility. The Bible doesn't teach that. And just because this crowd said it doesn't make it true. It's the same thing Pilate said, uh, I'm free from his, from his blood. I'm not responsible. That doesn't mean that he's not responsible. The Bible is simply recording that he said that. Pilate could say that all he wants, but he is in hell today guilty for what he did. And so the perspective is this, while the Jewish people, as well as the Gentile people, all people, continue to reject Jesus Christ, only that mob is responsible for saying, crucify him, crucify him. My relatives did not say that. Your relatives did not say that. That group said that. And so we want to put things in perspective. Children are not held responsible for the sins of their parents. This out-of-control mob does not speak for every Jewish person. And I had to say this in the context of the crowd because many people have bought into that, and that is not true. They continue to reject. All people continue to reject except God's own chosen people today. But don't, don't be misled by that statement. That is not a true statement, though it is true that they said that. Next week, 
Lord willing, we're going to look at uh, the real issue, the broader picture of who did really kill Jesus. But let me conclude by saying this. Why do some people reject Christ today? They're disappointed with him. He's a disappointment with them, to them. He's not what they're looking for. Now listen, when you trust him, if you have never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, when you trust him, you come to him on his terms or you don't come at all. That's the real issue. You accept him for who he is, not for who you want him to be. And if you come to him knowing that you are sinful and that you need a Savior who has paid for all of your sins, then you will never be disappointed. You will never be disappointed. Anyone who has truly come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins has never, ever been disappointed. If you come to him for the wrong reasons, you will be disappointed. He's not a genie. You need to trust him. Secondly, if people put pressure on you, if they intimidate you, learn to think for yourself. You say, well, how do I think for myself? You get a Bible, and you start reading it. And you say to the Lord, if this is true, if Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, then make it clear to me. Affirm these things in my heart and open up my heart to you. You think for yourself, and you let God show you the truth. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to heaven, then I invite you to do that. I'm not going to water down the gospel for you. I'm not going to say that he'll make your life so wonderful that you'll never have problems. I'll say, in all honesty, you'll have different problems, but he'll give you the grace and the strength to deal with them. But you don't come to him as a problem solver for the problems of this life. You come to him because you have a major problem, and that is you are a sinner. And there is no other salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Church can't do it. Baptism can't do it. Religiosity can't do it. Only Jesus can because Jesus is God who paid for all of your sins, the God-man. And he invites you to come to him, but only on his terms, repentance and faith. Repentance, a change of minds with an attitude of forsaking your sin and trusting him and him alone for your eternal destiny. If you sense a tug at your heart to do that, then I invite you to come up after the service, go through the the doors right by the organ, and there'll be some folks there who will speak to you quietly, privately, discreetly about Jesus Christ and your need for him. And I would say to all of us, this week as you witness, don't worry about people's responses. Don't, don't try to accommodate thinking that's twisted. Proclaim the truth. Don't make salvation harder than it is, but certainly don't water it down so that it's tasteful to people. The gospel is not tasteful. It doesn't taste good. You have to give the bad news before the good news. Tell them the truth. And if they reject the truth and continue despising you and your message of salvation, then understand that that's exactly what they did to Jesus. They were disappointed in him. They'll be disappointed in what you say to them, but that's okay. You proclaim the truth and leave it at that. Father, thank you that we who know you could say you have never disappointed us. Oh, there have been things that maybe we've prayed about that in your good pleasure and wisdom and sovereignty you haven't given us. But Lord, we've never been disappointed in you in any way. If there's a problem, the problem is with us. 
We pray, our Father, that as we who know Christ think about him and continue on in our relationship with him, that we might recognize him for who he is. Even we who, who know him sometimes, Lord, expect him to do things that he never promised to do. And so, Father, we pray that our response to him might be of loyal devotion, obedience, submission to his will. Lord, help us not to water down the truth to anyone. And we pray that you'll also draw to yourself those who need salvation, that they would think for themselves and not allow people to stir them up and not allow people to change their thinking, not some influential uh, teacher in college who might twist the truth and really make a young student's mind spin. We pray that, that we'll all think for ourselves, and we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, each one who doesn't know you, to see their need for salvation, to come to you for forgiveness. But we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our remaining time is nearly gone for today, so let me just thank you for tuning in for another Bible lesson from Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry made possible through the gifts and prayers of our listeners. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. It's also a great place to visit if you want to listen to any of our previous classes, including the one just finished. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Our lesson today was the conclusion of a three-part message. You can hear it all at once by ordering a cassette or a CD. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.